0: You're listening to episode 15 of the GDPR Guy, chat with Andy Dale. Welcome to the GDPR Guy, the podcast dedicated to helping you comply with data privacy rules and regulations. I'm your host, Carl Gottlieb data protection officer, and owner of the data protection consultancy firm, Cognition. Each episode, I'll be providing information, insights, and inspiration to help you on your compliance journey. You'll find show notes and useful resources on the website, thegdprguide.com, as well as details for getting in touch with me directly. In this episode, I had a live video chat with Andy Dale, the General Counsel and Head of Strategic Partnerships at Alice about privacy, ad tech, and next-generation swag. We talk about dealing with the stress of complex privacy issues and the challenge of both enabling and protecting a rapidly growing startup. Here's the audio of our chat. Welcome to another episode of the GDPR Guy. Today, I'm uh, really excited. I'm joined by Andy Dale, who is uh, General Counsel and Head of Partnerships over at Alice. So uh, hi, Andy.
1: Hi, Carl. How are you?
0: Yeah, doing really well, doing really well. It's 8.30 in the evening. Uh, it's been a long week, uh, lots of privacy Fun going on. Uh tell me about your world, Andy. Um, you work at Alice, a company I'll admit I hadn't actually heard of until quite recently. Uh, but when I did my research into it, it sounded really quite interesting, really quite cool. So tell me all about it, what you do there.
1: Uh it's it's been great. Uh I joined right um at the end of April. And and so my last company, we sold the company to MasterCard in October of 2019. And I uh, was helping doing the transition there and got introduced to Greg Siegel, the CEO of Alice through a mutual friend. And uh, and just like you described, Carl, I started talking to him. We hit it off. Uh, back when you could go into someone's office, I went over there and we did, uh, as privacy focused people like to do, we did some whiteboarding and data flow kind of drawing out of things. They want to go, you know, they want to launch in Europe, they haven't yet um, and so, it was a really nice opportunity, a nice fit for me. And um, because of the kind of relationship that uh, Alice has with marketing and technology, it kind of fits into the, the kind of stuff that I like to do. Um, and so, yeah, I, I dove in <laughs> and have been there a little bit, not that long, <laughs> so I'm still getting my bearings. Uh, so, so, so tell us
0: what, what actually is Alice. Can you not actually describe uh, what you even do yet?
1: <laughs> sure. Uh, it's a a tool that's really used for account-based marketing so b2b uh software sales and the gifting component of it is used to nurture and create leads and um, provide gifts to a person rather than a persona so much of what we do and what you and i have messaged about back and forth is this sort of device level communication with somebody or speaking to someone speaking to carl about privacy like but you have many things in your life and sales are not typically made just based on the fact that you do privacy during the day. You know, I'm better off reaching out to someone. If someone wants to reach me, they're better talking to me about cooking than they are probably about privacy. I like to talk about that a little more. So it's, it's, it's that, it's that aim. And that, as you know, that comes with many, many privacy challenges. And so, People like us are attracted to a job like that because it's not easy. It's it's a little bit tricky.
0: Yeah, and you've got a background in ad tech, which we'll dive in dive into uh, later on. But um, so just to explore that a bit more, do you uh, one of the? Okay, I guess I'll backtrack a little bit. One of the interesting things in privacy that I found is, and many of kind of peers in the industry, um, you either kind of hate the people that work for the Facebooks, the the Googles of the world, or you're one of the people who relishes those kind of challenges, they're kind of defeating those problems and kind of over, overcoming the barriers that people think aren't possible. And I guess Alice is really in that bucket of you're working for a company that is trying to do B2B sales or assist with B2B sales and create relationships based on personal data i mean personal with a capital p really it's all about people so like it sounds like you really enjoy that kind of like really overcoming what people think isn't really
1: possible i do because uh i think you can do it if you try meaning like if you desire to engage with the consumer about something and you want to use their data to do something i've tell them uh, it's it's not that big a deal to tell somebody and show them what's going to happen and give them some controls. One of the really nice things about the GDPR amongst all the compliance work that you have to do to, to enable a company. Um, one of the really nice things is it does enable people to have more, uh, more of an, uh, an ability to communicate with a, with a, a company and find out well, what are they actually doing? And, and, and companies need to, you know, say it, talk about it. And so in my view, the challenge is simply how do you write stuff and and write your privacy policies and explain what you do on your website in ways that are accessible to people? And when they do have questions, there's a way for them to answer them. So much of this stuff is just that basic, in my, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a pleasure to hear, uh, especially a lawyer, say something like that rather than trying to fill it all with legalese. Um, but it's... Uh... It sounds like you're very positive about what the privacy laws can do. Um, do you think privacy people in general are to, are afraid of the law, or afraid of the boundaries it gives us?
1: I think, um, I think, it maybe that's changed over time. Uh, we've we've been living with the GDPR is a great example. We've been living with it for a few years now. We've seen. What companies are doing? There's some norms established around data subject rights and requests, um, and the role of a controller and the role of a processor. And so, uh, I think it's changed. I think it used to be there's so much unknown. The the despite what some people may argue, uh, there are areas of the law that need to be interpreted and, and need to be understood. And you know, AdTech is a great example of one where. Where you have the law impacting a, a huge market, and you have the like um, the, the the actual delivery of that service happening in ways in which you know if you jammed it into the exact words of the law, I'm not sure how it actually interplays very well. And we will need regulatory guidance, and we will need um, you know things to happen over time. So lawyers can't react, privacy people can't react until we have some semblance of what. What is what are the norms <laughs> established by the law, and so it's changed. Meaning, people people have gotten used to it. They've understood what regulators are going to key in on and what they may not. We still don't know everything, um, and it needs to play out. But I, I think you get more comfort as people see okay. If I'm not, this is one of the reasons I'm positive or, about it. If if I'm if I'm attentive to my privacy program, I'm I'm documenting things. I'm thinking about the issues clearly. I'm not, I have a privacy policy that's posted that that talks about what I'm doing. Well, I'd rather have that conversation with a regulator than one where I can't answer any of those questions. And so that's kind of why I think it, it continues to move in a better direction.
0: And so going along with that positivity kind of approach then, do you, uh, it sounds like you very much feel that you need to be tightly aligned to the business and the business strategy. Um, I guess it's kind of an obvious thing to say, but I think I've worked with kind of many in-house kind of legal teams, and privacy teams, security teams, and in reality, it's very much a case of like that is the team locked away that it, that it's their job to say no. Uh, they try not to, but they often kind of will. Uh, but it sounds like, especially where you are to Alice, Alice, you really do need to be tightly aligned to what they're doing, and it sounds like you actually are.
1: Uh, I- I'll talk about this for a moment, but then I'm actually interested in in your experience in this too, because uh, because of your unique role as, as a DPO. So so from my perspective, I learned this lesson many years ago when I was actually in a much bigger company. Um, I was on the legal team at TD Ameritrade, the online broker, and uh, big bigger company, you know, thousands of people, and I was a junior person, you know, <laughs> learning as I go, and the way that I what i ended up doing was traveling around to different offices spending time um where the leaders of the business units were that i was working with and meeting with them face to face and having coffee with them and asking them about the, again their personal lives not their having a personal connection with someone and that allowed that allowed me to see that legal can be can be so much more and and we bought a company while i was there it was a like a tech company a smaller kind of startup type tech company in Chicago I was assigned to kind of be their integration lawyer I spent a lot of time with them and I just I just saw that that was the first time I saw you can be a lawyer like that you can be in the bullpen in the mix with people everybody's you know all, the best idea wins doesn't matter where it comes from and so that kind of environment they it was really them not me them asking my opinion and asking my opinion about practical things, not just what should the contract say, you know, it should be, what should the contract say? And and what will it mean if this, if this thing happens or that thing happens or something really bad happens or something really good happens. And so uh, I think I just learned that through that early experience. And then I took that to smaller companies and it's just, I just think it's maybe it's a maxim, you know, that, that goes across things.
0: So just on that, uh, that, uh, point about i can i'm sort of visualizing you inside that meeting and um sort of you kind of whiteboarding ideas and so on and you're kind of giving input and advice and guidance and so on um something i'm hearing a lot uh in various different places and different guises is this awkwardness about in-house counsel being uh, able to be a business advisor But then how do they align with being an in-house lawyer? So where does does privilege fit into that? You know, when are they actually giving legal advice to their colleagues in the business? And when are they just giving business guidance? And kind of in my experience, there's very little actual legal guidance. It's pretty much always they are really good business
1: advisors. I think you have to be. Uh, I think that's why I like the job, honestly. I mean, I'm not doing hardcore legal work all day um it's so much of it is is just business work and that must be the same for you um, in your interactions with with people you're you're talking privacy you're talking about the contours of a a regulation or or something but you're really talking about product and you're really talking about user experience and you're really talking about consumers and putting yourself in the consumer's shoes or the the business customers shoes and what do they want what do they want to get from us what what makes sense to us and often those align they often align with with the the privacy rules if they don't it's incumbent upon me and you to talk to the business people about why and explain why and then be receptive when they say well i think you're wrong and then and then go back and forth and that's where that's where the job is fun for me when we're going back and forth in 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 iterative, awesome whiteboarding discussions, and then we get to a solution that works. It's rarely the first way you draw it.
0: Yeah, I mean that for me, that's exactly why I love uh, what I do because it's I, I'm kind of impregnated into every single part of the business. I'm basically I ha- I have to be a uh, a mile wide and an inch deep. I have to know about marketing. I have to know about business stuff. I have to know about Uh, tech i have to know about all kinds of things and be able to kind of dive into those so that you can kind of give that uh kind of appreciation um for instance today i spent most of it talking about marketing strategy and when it did dip into privacy rules it was very much a case of like forget what the gdpr says is this fair and and you know asking that question alone kind of gets rid of most kind of legal sort of nonsense so uh (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not rocket
1: science. I don't think. I agree. I, I one of the things that comes up so often when you start to analyze email marketing, for, for instance, in in Europe, right? And we don't have a new a new uh, cookie directive yet. Like we don't really have a really clear set of guidelines on that and and it, I always default to well what's right what's the fair thing to do to someone when you're sending them an email they have to tell you they have to be able to tell you they don't want any more emails like it's pretty it's pretty simple there's other things to do obviously but like uh, the main <laughs> the main gist there is listen to the consumer or listen to the person on the other end
0: yeah. And, and ultimately, I just say, like, what would my wife say? And like, what does she say? So I'll kind of go go out of my office and just say, like, I'm thinking this. And she'll just say, like, this is kind of obvious. If it was me, I would do that. I would expect this. Like, I'd be really upset by that or I'd want that. Or if it was my daughter, this. and yeah. like And like child privacy is a really good example where you can kind of dance around with it, what could we do? And if we're doing that with age 14 in China, but what about 12 in the US and this kind of stuff? And you just think, like, forget the law. What is kind of obvious and what would make, pe- raise people's eyebrows? And you back just- into ad t-
1: Back into ad tech, Carl, like wh- in, in the, you know, pre-GDPR, there were these self-regulatory frameworks. And one of them in the United States was the Network Advertising Initiative, which is a group of ad tech companies that came together to create a code of conduct so that they could in theory kind of uh, create a little bit of a safe Harbor. If there was ever a regular, a regular, regu- uh, if there was ever a law that came down, they could say, look, we've been following these rules and they were just very practical. Like, like you just described, they were, they were, there's some rules around um, health and health information and, you know, data that you, you shouldn't use to target an advertisement to somebody, and I remember at Data Zoo, we got a phone call from uh, from a client, and they you know, or, or and the request was to to serve ads. Can't with can't, a question rather was, um, can we serve ads to people that have visited pages about you know, STDs, HIV, cancer? It was like a you know that list. And then I just paused and I said, "Are you sure this is the list they don't want to target?" And it's just that it's that kind of like you have to you have to be attentive to those kinds of things. It's good that you, you can do that with your wife too, but I, it also needs to be like the product person in your company needs to be thinking that way too.
0: Yeah. And uh, getting that kind of mindset across, uh, it's really difficult for many reasons. Um, I work mainly with us tech companies and uh, one of the kind of differences with us tech companies versus especially the fast growing ones versus let's say a traditional UK company is A lot of these staff will be younger. Um, You know, like some of the hiring that's going on right now, like even in the last six months I've seen is really incredible. Like one firm I know, they've hired a third of their staff in the last six months. Uh, They've just kind of really, really ramped up. Um, And because of that, uh, a lot of people are straight out of university. It's their first job, which, you know, God help them. Their first job is sitting at home in the COVID world. You know, how how are they going to get on with that? But they... They just have never built up the empathy of those kind of weird situations. You know, they've never worked in a bank. They've never worked in a really difficult environment. They've never worked with old people, young people, global people, mm-hmm. and so that can be really tough for them to empathise with. Why would a mother be upset if we emailed their seven-year-old child? Like, but because it, it. But if Carl says the law is right, so we can do it like that, can't we? But it, it can be tough for them. Um, but this is where I found that diversity. Uh, which I know a lot of people kind of rebel against to say it's like, it's a cliche thing <clears throat> and it's politically correct. But if we kind of talk about diversity from a perspective of, let's say a large organization has I don't know, a few hundred million users out there. Um, you know, I work with Duolingo, they've got over 300 million users. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking every country in the world, every kind of aspect of diversity you can think of. Um, if you're thinking of, is this going to be fair globally? I can't give you that opinion because I'm not diverse enough. I don't speak 10 languages. I don't have 10 different situations. So I quite like just going around the business and just saying, what does everybody think? And it's always amazing when you get the one person that says, well, I grew up in Japan and we would really be upset by that. And that's what I think, where I think diversity really helps with that opinion and getting across to the product manager, like you were saying.
1: Yeah. Not every company has that, that, that benefit i mean uh we're in growth mode here in alice right and i've never been i haven't been to our office really other than to whiteboard when i met the team before covid so um i think people are missing some of that for sure especially being brand new i can i can empathize with being brand new
0: yeah and um but i mean it goes back to your point of connecting with what people think and what what people want which i guess going back to alice is really what Alice is all about, about creating, sort of bolstering yeah. that relationship. Um, I've done my fair share of sales in the past, um, probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And I know everyone talks about how you sell to people rather than to businesses, but I think we probably get a bit lazy where we try to create a little kind of intro chat like, hey, Carl, you into baseball caps. Great. Now let's want to buy my widget. We don't really do anything more than that. And it sounds like you're trying to, really dive into the personal aspect of it to, uh, and take advantage of privacy rules that let you do that to help build that real relationship
1: yeah i mean we we want to we want to utilize data and we want to utilize it um in a way that creates a bond or creates engagement um and if someone doesn't want us doing that we won't do it um the customer or, or the end gift recipient will, will receive an email it used to be some direct, a mix of email and direct mail before, uh, people, before everyone was working remotely. And, uh, um, probably it'll come back to some extent, but I think there's a lot of, um, you know, companies sending sort of a, an intro email, trying to make a connection. The gift is there to sort of say, I, I've thought about you a little bit. Um, it's a fine line you know what you want to send someone and what what you don't what they're comfortable with and um and and then that person goes and actually interacts with alice they they it's not white label so it's it's we do have a consumer relationship at that point so then there is a moment where we're being clear about processing data this is alice you are now in alice you are you are putting data in here's our privacy policy this is Alice here's where you go if you need something um, and so I think that's the that's what we're trying we're just trying to do it transparently and just say yes you are getting a gift this is what's happening and um, here's your here's the the data that we need to to give you the gift and here's what we would do with your data after we have it
0: I think it's it's quite refreshing actually to hear uh, such transparency about how kind of how a service works and and also around an area that let's let's be honest everyone is afraid of especially general counsels. um you know it's it's every day that general counsel will be sort of issuing things like anti bribery rules and training and people are very afraid of stuff even especially in the sales world people are very afraid of stuff but. I think people are so afraid that they just shy away from what they can do. And the same goes with data. Like we just think that I'm not really sure about that. I've never done it. I'm not gonna bother. Whereas you guys are saying, look, we know what you can do. We know what people actually do want. And we're kind of embracing that and going with it.
1: Nobody has to book a meeting with somebody. I mean, the gift is made. Somebody can accept the gift. They can book a meeting. Sometimes we have different settings. You know, you can just provide availability for a meeting. I, I can, you know, I'll I'll send you a thank you gift after this, and it won't. Actually, I can't. Actually, I, our system blocks the, uh, <laughs> the EU. So when we're live, I'll send you a gift. But but the point is, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, there are controls in the platform, and there are things you can do if you need someone to to have additional terms and conditions about whether their organization allows them to accept a gift or not. Um, but you know, it's not. There's no gift for sale. It's it's the gift. And do you want to talk to me or not? You don't have to. And it so. and
0: it must it's a, and it must be a pleasure working in uh in a business. It's all about make effectively making people happy. Like whether it be salespeople or like ideally the recipients. You know, it's it's a nice business to be in. Surely,
1: I think it's nice. And and I think um I'd be interested to know when you when you're looking at going to work with companies like how much. How much does the underlying ethos of the business or the how does that does that play in with, with your selection? Because it did a lot for me with Alice that like I'm I'm with their vibe, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I guess um I'm in a really fortunate position because uh, I'm both a kind of consultant, uh, so I actually do privacy stuff, but also I have a little boutique uh, consultancy company. Uh, which means that when uh, clients come to me every day and just say, "Hey, Carl, would love to work with you guys and did a done," it means I can say, "Like, um, look, I'm a specialist in this area. I want to work with you and this thing. You know, I've got a colleague that's great at that." Um, health sector, for instance, is one that I've worked in that uh, I just don't really have the live skills and also desire to work with. So one of my colleagues is great at that. Um, so I can be really picky and quite selfish about the people I work with, which is fantastic. Uh, in terms of kind of the ethos, it can actually be really difficult to know the true direction because you can get pitched by like a ceo and say like we've got this product we're going to help the world we're going to do da 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 and then you kind of get into it and realize like no it's a really dodgy company that are actually using that as a shell to sell data and it's it can be really hard to tell but i found just as kind of you are talking that it's really all about connecting with those people and if you just get that good vibe of You know, I really believe in what they're doing. Um, I mentioned Duolingo, so like leading privacy for them. Um, Their mission is to give uh, free language learning to the world. You know, there's not really a lot you can kind of argue against on that one. Um, Another one is Huddle, which is um, a, a sports platform that essentially gives all high school kids in America, as amongst as all the stuff they do globally, but high school kids in America, wherever you're from, the chance to elevate yourself and get a pro contract. And I think many people that work in Huddle don't quite realize the enabling they're giving the US. You yeah. know, you could be the poorest child in the middle of Detroit. The fact you can play football and you've got an internet connection means you can show off yourselves to the world. And that is incredibly powerful. You you are genuinely changing lives, even if you're just doing a bit of privacy stuff. So, you know, it really does help you help motivate you on a day to day basis. And it sounds like you're in a kind of really similar
1: boat. I got a taste of that at um, when I was at T D Ameritrade, I was really aligned with what they were doing I and mean, they're just creating tools to enable people to trade and just giving them as much, as much power as they possibly could with as many different levels of skills, education, learning, whatever. I just was, I was on board because they were just very decent. Um, and when, um, when I joined datazoo, the ad tech company, ad tech is a lightning rod in a lot of ways. And so that I had to get used to that that this is a little bit of a different dynamic where uh, <clears throat> where the industry is. Um, I thought we did a nice job of adhering to the codes, adhering to the NAI code. I sat on the board of the NAI, like, so amongst that lightning rod, I think we were we were really trying to be attentive to those things, but you're always gonna get, there's always criticism around ad tech because of the nature of, uh, of the internet and uh, of people feeling like, well, what am I getting when I go read an article or I go look at a website? Am I really aware that I'm getting something by that? Is that, should that really just be mine without me having to share any any pseudonymous data or cookies or, or device IDs or anything like that? And that debate still rages. Um, and so it's interesting.
0: Yeah, and people talk about the harms that that uh, kind of creates and leads to. Um, do you think... Uh, the press, I mean, we could talk about the press all day long, but uh, even just the privacy people lawyers in house counsels, do you think we in the industry uh, do a fair job at representing the real harms that happen, do we underplay them, do we overplay them um you know what 's going on in your experience because you 've got a lot you 've seen a lot of that
1: uh, i 'm laughing just because i am thinking about do you remember the company turn? Yes. Yes. I'm friendly with with the many years ago, general counsel of turn. And I was having a drink with him one time. And I remember him just saying like, where's the harm? I don't understand. Where's the harm? I don't get it. You know, he was, he was just being sort of like vociferous about it um, because he, you know, he just didn't, he didn't, it wasn't clear to him. Um, And, and, you know, he's running the legal department for that company and, you know, and, and they had a lot of things that they needed to deal with, and as, associated with trying to figure out what the actual harm is. And I don't think we do a great job of it. Um, and I think what's 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 happened is two things. One, we've just been the world um, has been inundated uh, by breaches of trust, and you have Snowden disclosures. You have. Um, you you have massive data breaches, Yahoo, Clearview, AI with all the facial images, like just billions of records, Facebook doing things in ways that, you know, would just are sort of really, really troubling. And so we really have no, and we don't really have a great way to quantify the damage. It's a little bit easier, you know, maybe when there's a whole bunch of, uh, uh, when the data is Equifax or there's a financial loss or there's something but it's it's very difficult to to quantify what happens when uh, you know your identity uh, there's an identity there's a breach and there's an identity issue like at a company I was at we had an internal breach and someone filed my you know taxes for me like huge pain huge pain but like am I getting money for that I, <laughs> Not really. <laughs> yeah, I I can imagine it's um
0: I do, I mean I, I personally really struggle uh because I personally I work in privacy all day long, have done for a long time, but I also uh see a lot of the benefits that ad tech brings and what uh infringements on privacy bring. Um, you know, I'm I'm surrounded by Google devices on a daily basis, mainly because I buy them, because I really do like them. Uh, I actually counted yesterday how many Google listening devices are in my house and there's 23. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And I still want to buy more stuff, but, um, but I've in my head assessed the risks, you know, the, the, I've assessed the risks of sitting in my front room and worrying if Google are listening to me versus the utility, the benefit of me being able to ask them to, uh, to do stuff. Um, the, I'll be honest, the only harm that I can really feel uh, from Google Home, actually, specifically, is from my wife, I'll mention again. Uh, and that's because she thinks the Google Assistant is flirting with me. <laughs> because, because I'll say that last for the time, she'll tell me, I'll say thank you. And um, she'll say something like, you're very welcome indeed. But if my wife says thank you, the Google Assistant doesn't reply. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so maybe
0: maybe there is some kind of truth to it but um but i think going back to that kind of diversity point i have to um i have to question my own opinion and i have to go to my colleagues and just say like look you're a 25 year old kid at university uh with a phd in, in language learning you're a uh a 38 year old volleyball coach in uh lincoln nebraska like what is your opinion? You've got kids, you've got grandkids, what's your opinion? And just try to just try and break out of my own privilege, my own kind of my myop- myopathy. And sort of. I just, it can be really tough to know and judge those harms.
1: Yeah. I mean, as a lawyer, you're, you're, you're trained on damages. What's the damage? What's the financial damage? What's the actual injury that someone suffer, you know, and it's very difficult. Um, very difficult. I, I don't think we're there yet.
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, because I, I work pretty much always in tech, uh, there was that kind of famous thing of like, are we the bad guys? Um, <laughs> I remember uh, it's like, was it the first few Star Wars films uh, where there's uh, that kind of flip where you start to realize that are the bad guys actually the bad guys? And um, I know you're a bit of a sci fi fan. I picked up, is that right? Yeah, uh, Yep. <laughs> So go on. Is is talking about the first Star Wars films like uh, painful for you, or is that uh, or are you going to rebel and say, like, actually, no, they were the best?
1: No, I mean, I so <laughs> my my daughters, uh, I, I gave them a bunch of my figures, and so they they like to play with them a lot, and then, and they they've adapted that to playing pretend Star Wars at the dinner table, and it's actually led me to to go through a lot of good and evil discussions with them. And so I've never really applied it in my thinking really, um, to privacy except, uh, to, to, so I haven't really thought about it that way in, in the sense of comparing and thinking about the, the way, the way those films play out. But I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's just a way to, um, to release and see things that, that, uh, Honestly, and to, to relax. I mean, the job is so stressful. To our to our discussion about damages, where that lack of clarity is actually challenging. Uh, what is really the what is really the harm uh, for a company like Alice? It's pretty hard too because you're you're constantly um, you know we're we're in growth mode here, so we're trying to we're trying to grow.
0: Do Do you find uh, uh, that many of your colleagues because they'll have essentially tunnel vision with growth with um, you know they they're pushing marketing they've got their okrs they've got their targets they've got their metrics to hit um they've got their strategies are fixed on them there might be a pivot but probably not for a while whereas you're the person that's got to question everything you've got to question what you do you've got to kind of check yourself all the time but you're constantly analyzing well here's the law but here's the risk of not following it, or his his interpretations, his fifty odd states, his other territories, his Brazilian law, his GDPR, maybe for the future. Um, I imagine that be, that's by a word.
1: group. I'm sure this is your experience too. It varies by group. Engineers want me to list the requirements, <laughs> and you know that just is not the way it works. <laughs> and so, and and then product folks. um, are, w- want the requirements also, but also ha- because their job is market-facing, uh, they want to know what the customer thinks too. So it's not a surprise that, that that's where privacy champions often come from. They come from the product team or product marketing or marketing or, or folks that um, are interacting with both sides of the business. Um, and, and so it, de- it just depends. Like you, you have to constantly um, – you really—it just goes back to the same thing. You have to keep working with people, keep talking to them, and and keep trying to, um, I don't, be be able to deliver and iterate and let them know that we can come up with an MVP. It doesn't have to be, um, absolutely the most the greatest feature ever. Uh, the day we launch it, we just need to be able to make some things work for people.
0: And you mentioned uh, product ch- uh, privacy sort of champions uh just then and i want to sort of pick up a little bit on that one um do you find in a small organization uh one that's you know growing but is also kind of limited for uh limited for the in-house uh kind of resources it's usually the way that kind of sales that product engineering will get all that kind of extra resourcing and growth but hey the in-house legal team will stay as maybe one person even if there is you know, you're lucky to have to have one, you know, in my experience. So um, do you find that put, placing champions or kind of building champions within those teams is the way you do it? You know, creating almost a virtual extension of your uh,
1: your department. I mean, you must need the same thing, too, especially sitting uh, not sitting right in the business. I mean, it's it's I was talking about this yesterday with a former PM that I used to work with. And it's it's everything. I mean, you, you won't, you won't make it without that. It's, it's only, I'm only one person. I I can only do so many things and, uh, I can't, there's so many things I can't do. I can't code. I can't, uh, I can't, uh, I can't do a data map by myself. I mean, that's a perfect, that's sort of a perfect example, really. It's the place you often have to start. You got to get in, you know, get, get your, uh, get your boots and your shovel and get ready to figure out where everything is, visualize it. And that just can't happen alone. And so, you know, it's, it's product is critical. Engineering is critical. They have to be in the room and with engineers, you have to, I think in my experience, I have to speak to them about privacy a little bit differently. Um, I tend to let them know how important this is for their career um, and knowing these things and how how this is not going away. And if you if you know your game here, you're going to be that much better of an engineer. You're going to be able to be way more effective. Um, and they seem to buy into that. I think it's true, <laughs> and they seem to buy into it. And so I'm using every trick in my book to get people invested in it. But because it does take everybody, marketing is another really obvious one where 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 it, it hits privacy. You said this, I think, like. I've, I've described it as an octopus, like it's got tentacles all over the business. Like every aspect of the business has some challenge with respect to this. HR, finance, like no, nobody escapes. Uh, do, do you think uh, kind of
0: young lawyers moving into uh, privacy or even just generally with in-house counsel, they uh, appreciate how much business stuff they will end up doing versus just lawyering?
1: No way. I didn't. I mean, I and you just you can't. You you won't. You won't. I think you desire it. I think most people that decide they're going to make that move uh, have that kind of notional desire in their head, and they go, "Yeah, I think I'd like to be in some different types of conversations." Um, the life of an outside counsel is difficult, um, and which is why it makes it really difficult when I when I have to pick who I'm going to who I'm going to work with uh that again that takes that takes a very similar level of trust and and uh those types of relationships are equally challenging so um it's 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 not an easy one but but I fortunately um there are some key things that as they happen as you go international when you're a US company as you go international as you start putting data uh, to the forefront of your business, um, then it becomes very clear that this function, whether it's privacy, legal, compliance, however you want to describe it, needs a headcount and that starts to happen it can't just be can't just be me, it can't just be one person There starts to be a real critical mass around project managers, operations, whatever I don't know you know it could be another lawyer I don't know, but like I'm seeing this all happen a lot earlier. It used to be as just as you described lucky to have one. And we're we're a series A company. Very rare to have a council. We just happen to have a data focused business. Um, very rare. And so I think but I'm actually seeing that more and more. It used to be company would wait to series C, D, later financing, that then they'd they'd be spending a lot of money outside. And now I think that's changed. I mean, people are are recognizing this. This stuff is important really early, and the boards are noticing too.
0: And just to kind of move, sort of explore that a little bit. Have you have you got any advice of how organizations can build those business cases to get more uh, kind of in, internal resources? Uh, because it's it is really tough when you uh, like, especially Series A. It is so focused on growth, and you're that that person saying, "Hey, we need another lawyer," and like, "Well, I'd rather buy an engineer."
1: Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Some of it's just experience, uh, having gone through stuff. And when you can say that you've been through a series of financings, then you can say, well, okay, well, I know what the examination of this company is going to be. So I know all of the things that are going to be asked and scrutinized about us uh, by by uh, an investor, especially if they're a, a top tier investor and they've got a really large law firm behind them. I know what that's going to be like. And what that's going to be like is producing a whole lot of things that maybe aren't fully baked with us yet. And so we can either, you know, try to figure this out outside. It's going to be a lot of money, probably more money. And so then it gets into that kind of dynamic where you say, because you have to tie you have to tie these things to the critical elements of the business. It's the best advice the CEO of DataZoo ever gave me. He was a former lawyer, and he said to me uh, something like, always stay close to the revenue." Always, No matter what you're doing, stay close to the revenue. And that he meant that in a whole variety of different vectors. And one of those is financing revenue and what does the company need to, to uh, fuel itself and keep going. And if you're the gate in some way between that, um, pitching it that way and thinking about it as it needs to be value. It can't just be a cost center.
0: Yeah, I, and the deep... The DPO role, the data protection yeah. officer role that I uh, I often fulfill is like absolute manifestation of that because uh, depending on who you talk to, especially um, people in Europe, uh, many will say that it's actually a, um, a role that's there to defend and protect the individual, like the data subject, the consumer, rather than the business. Um, others would argue differently. But uh, I find... And one of the other things to say about the DPO role is it's technically protected, apparently, in that uh, your employer can't fire you for giving really good advice. If you do your job properly, but just give them advice that says, like, no, that's illegal, then they can't fire for that just for apparently being awkward. Now, that's kind of nice. But let's be honest, there's plenty of ways you can fire someone, especially in the U.S., without any kind of damn good reason. Yeah. So I think those protections are kind of wildly over-exaggerated. Um, but to go back to your point about aligning to the revenue, you know, a great example with the DPO is to be able to say, like, yeah, here's, here's the law, just like you would. But in my experience of working with marketing, this is these are the risks. These are the techniques people are applying and I'll be honest, these are things people are doing that are breach of the law and what's happened to them. You know, I'm going to give you every single scenario, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and let it be the business call. Clearly, my formal advice will always be to do the right thing. But you've got to understand why people have failed and why they've taken the risks, so that you can, you can really judge that. Because what I, I personally don't want is a business that just says, Carl's given us the law and we're following it precisely because they will end up being af- too afraid to do stuff. And you know, Alice is a great example where if I explain that to somebody and the GDPR or even US law, they'd say it's not possible. They'd just be too afraid. And so, yeah, you've got to be aligned to marketing. And lastly, if the business isn't doing very well, you're going to get fired because they can't afford you anyway. Yeah. So and COVID is a great example. You know, people talk about what's going on COVID times. Well, hey, people are taking risks and need to survive. And I think we need to be very cognizant of that.
1: Yeah, the way the way I have sold the DPO internally, and uh, you know we 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 use an outsourced model. We're not at a point where I'd be the only person that could serve in that role, and I can't really do that because of all the other things that that I'm helping Alice with. So it is an outsourced role for us. And the way I position it is, um, it's it's required. But 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 in addition to it being required. If you pick the right person, it's wildly helpful, uh, and and so that that is where you again you're you have to pitch value. You have to say it's going to reduce my outside counsel costs. Like I'm going to be talking where where I would be talking about product issues, maybe with an outside counsel that's not really their bent. Uh, and, and if you find a DPO like yourself that's technical. That uh, can can wants to get into what does the product do? What is the feature? What is the feature actually doing? Where is the data going? Let me help you create the product such that it is privacy by design, that it is sensitive sensitive to the things that we care about. Then you've got to have a CEO or or whoever that's listening to you. So the pr- first place to start when you pick your pick your employer, you know, make sure that you have a receptive management team to that. But at alice we really do and that and that was a really key thing for me to come in and so the dpo has to be you know they're the uh they're the utility player in a lot of ways
0: and how do you stop getting stop yourself getting overwhelmed by all this i mean especially in startup world in tech right now uh, especially is incredibly difficult time uh, you know b2b sales is a really really difficult time and you know you as a business like your business got this you personally have got this but how do you how do you personally uh, how are you dealing with this even on a day-to-day basis you know whether it be sci-fi or what what are your kind of techniques to staying in in the right headspace
1: well it's probably a lot like yours I mean I relax with the family I try to make sure that I unplug which is not easy uh, I try to be present, you know, with my kids, um, and, and focused. And then the other thing, you know, then just kind of on the actual business stuff itself. Um, it does stress me out. I mean, I think the if, I think the first step is admitting it that, that I'm a, I'm a happy person and I try to be positive and, uh, I, I joke a lot, which is, which helps me, but, um, you know, it does stress me out. And so, um, uh, it, number The first thing is acknowledging it, looking at what my stress is about, and then trying to focus on, like, drive to the incisive part of what I can fix. And then if there's parts I can't fix, I've got to go get help to fix it. And and that may be a DPO. That may be an outside counsel. You know, I'm fortunate, Carl, to have built up some, some relationships, uh, not just the outside counsel that I pay, but my network of peers. Just, like, that's a huge thing. I have people that I text regularly just to say, and interestingly, because ad tech, uh, when I was in it, ad tech, as you know, is really complicated technology. And many of those big platforms are driven by advertising revenue. And so all those lawyers from all those little tech companies, they've matriculated to these platforms. So most of them are at large platforms now. So I, I can text people from much larger platforms that are, I've previously been friends with them, so I don't have an agenda, they know I don't have an agenda. I'm just wanting to know, and they're wanting to know from me, and we're wanting to know from each other. Are my positions crazy or, or are they rational? And that gives me a lot of a lot of help, just that that network. you know I've, I've asked you questions, like there's just there need to be people that you you do that with, because otherwise otherwise you will I, I would go crazy.
0: And and we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to help people build great products, uh, help our employer. Um, and we're all trying to be fair. We're all trying to be transparent. We're all trying to do things for the right reason. Uh, you know, you can pick companies like Facebook. Like people will criticize them all day long, Google, whoever. Um, but if you ask any of their people and just say, like, are you trying to do the right thing? The answer will always be Yes how it actually kind of manifests might be something completely different, but, you know, we're all pushing in the same direction. And uh, and I guess back to your point about your your network, uh, it's great when you can turn to people that have faced, you know, that have been in the real trenches of complex stuff, uh, you know, working in, let's say, a data selling business and trying to do privacy or legal in that, you know, you've fought all those battles, you've thought about all those different scenarios, you've got that complex situation going on. And so the answers they give you are going to be so much more nuanced, uh, so much more kind of insightful, but also to be able to say, look, I can give you the detail, Andy, but the answer is no, you're never going to be able to make it work. And if you want to dive into it, we can. As opposed to the people that will say, no, the law says you can't ever do that. Um, That's what I know of where the GDPR end of story. Right. Um, One of the interesting things about the business you work in is that kind of Uh, almost like a triangle formation where you're in the middle you've got b2b and b2c at the same time often for the same set of data and i I kind of work with that in a few places and it's a real real mind bender the same piece of data your two roles of it um do you just kind of live with it that's how it's always going to be or is um is that one of the one of the struggles you have
1: um, I mean, we're, 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 we're early in our journey, so we have the luxury of being thoughtful about that. And that was one of the first things as you can imagine that I was really getting into with the team to figure out, um, you know what, what, what the data what the data is and what we should be doing uh, and what our role should be. Um, so we have the luxury of being in a situation where we can execute, Uh, features and development by design, and we can, you know, look at the data and and its use cases, you know, with a privacy framework in mind. Now we have the challenge of of the CCPA in the United States um, and the CPRA, which is the next iteration of this on the ballot in November. So again, we're sort of staring at a whole bunch of gray again. Um, here in the us so i it sort of circles back to just do continuing to to do your best and i do think yeah maybe i am just living with it but i'm living with it um again i'm living with it transparently with the with the customer i'm talking to the customer about our respective roles i just think we have to we just have to say you're the controller here we're the controller here we're the processor here like that's it and with the yeah. consumer, with the consumer, where there's an interaction, there you just need to make make whatever you can available to them. I think
0: uh, it, you're making it sound really obvious, and I guess it kind of is. You know, it's, it's about fairness and transparency, which you know are very very vague words. But here's what
1: makes it. Here's what makes it. You're absolutely right to say, like, well, it sounds easy when you when you say it like that. It sounds easy. It's not because. Privacy policies are garbage, and I think that's the that's the thing that really needs to change. And I don't I don't have the answers. You don't have the answers, but we need to be innovating in this place. And nobody is innovating in this place yet. You have 20 Google devices in your home. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if, when you bought Nest, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm making this up. This is Star Wars, right? A hologram pops up and talks to you about what it's going to do with your data. Here's what we're gonna do with your data, Carl. <laughs> you know, we're gonna flex your temperature up and down based on the, the parameters that you set. We, you know, we're gonna share your data with certain parties to improve NEST and, and our functionality. We're gonna use your data to improve our security. And we, we're also gonna use your data to send you relevant marketing messages. And I think most people are gonna go, okay, I want Nest, you know, and then and then they're gonna go for it. Um, i think there needs to be some innovation in that space because right now i mean privacy policies are are the best we have but i mean they are what they are
0: yeah i, I couldn't agree more it's a uh, it's an awful place you've got the law saying you have to explain every single detail in a uh, a sensible approach that people can understand which is a complete oxymoron really um you know you've got any complex business or any kind of a business such as yours is moderately complex compared to many B2C or B2B ones with those kind of dual roles you have. So trying to explain that as well as trying to explain people going to your website and then they log in, all these different kinds of things that are going on. It can be really tough to get into a simple form. So um, innovation is going to be key where you know you can ask those simple questions off the platform and uh, and something, but no one's really seeing it. And I, th- I think personally, until we see some... Uh, regulatory action that says, hey, you had everything detailed there, but it wasn't simple enough. I don't think anything will change. I think it it just becomes, you know, we carry on as lawyers and privacy people of just saying, let's stick all the detail in there and tick the box.
1: Um, which, what, is- what do you think about data transfers and about standard contractual clauses and the future of that? Uh, I know it's a huge question, but...
0: So I'll give my my football analogy. Um, so if we look at uh, let's let's focus on the GDPR for a minute. If we look at GDPR as being like the law, that the rule book that has been written by let's say the Association of referees that every sport kind of has. But at the start of each season, many of those referee associations say, "Okay, how are we actually going to in, like interpret and apply these rules this year? We might not actually change the rules, but we might say, well." A handball in football is actually this way or uh, interference in American football is actually we're going to class it as that we're not going to rule against on that so for data controllers processes companies what I always say is yeah look at the rules but the role of the referees like the regulators and what they say is even more important than the rules themselves because if they say at the start of the season they're not going to enforce against this kind of uh, passive interference, then, you know, like as long as it's not too unfair or anything, then, you know, that those are the margins you should be exploiting. Mm-hmm. So we need to be thinking about kind of the interpretation of the rules rather than necessarily the rules themselves. And so in the case of uh, transfers and SCCs and so on, go and talk and listen to what the regulators are saying. And if you look at across the EU recently, we had two German regulators say, no, there's no way you can share data to the US. But every single other regulator, including the UK one, the ICO, and also the Referee Association, you know, the European Data Protection Board, they said, go for it. If it was meant to have been banned, the court would have banned it, which they didn't. So I think everyone's saying, they're not explaining how, but they are saying you can still carry on with it. The methodology is still there, and you can still use SCCs. Just do it as best you can.
1: Is it just pushing a new version or a new mechanism? So a new version plus a new negotiation is that is that what it's yeah. going to drive? I mean,
0: I mean that's what's I mean what's going on is kind of parallel. You've got people saying how to really solidify the SCC contracts, the SECs, but you've also got the um, the path of Uh, privacy shield next gen or uh, safe harbor version three or whatever you want to call it um which is no different it's just gonna be a piece of paper that said yeah we've all read it and signed it which we haven't read it and we'll just kind of carry on regardless has anyone read the secs you know in reality has anyone even looked at them properly so i don't really see much changing um i'll just kind of give my practical advice and then disappear back to my uh my home. Talk to my wife. Talk to my daughter. Eat some pizza and kind of move on and uh, just yep. try and chill out. Not get too stressed by
1: it all. <laughs> that's that's the best advice I've heard yet.
0: Are you? Uh, so you are you in? Well, you you're in the East Coast of the US. So right. y- you must have some quite. Are you a Chicago fan in terms of um, pizza? Are you I, in New York? What? How you kind of,
1: in, I grew up in Baltimore, uh, and I and I moved from Baltimore to Massachusetts, where my wife is from. But I spent a lot of time in New York when I was at TD Ameritrade. I was traveling to New York all the time, so I, I, yeah, I guess I lean New York uh, in the in the pizza debate. But Chicago's great. I, I, with Ameritrade, I spent a lot of time in Chicago, so I've sampled everything. Uh, it's all different to me. I appreciate all of it. I don't like people that that talk smack about Chicago pizza and say it's a casserole or it's a, you know it's 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 just different. Just appreciate that it's different. You, it's huge, so you can't eat it every day. You, you can't, and you, you know, you, you'll, you'll, you'll feel sick every day if you eat that every day. But uh, no, I mean, appreciate it all. It's all great, and and it comes from when it comes from great ingredients. It's always great.
0: Yeah, pizza is great, and that's kind of the end of it. You know, even if you might put scatter on a few piece of pineapple or god forbid cover it in salad leaves like i mean maybe not that but it's still uh,
1: it's still pizza
0: it's still was good that you?
1: was that you that talked about the salad leaves all over the pizza that i think that was you
0: i don't, i mean for, I for, me, yeah. for salad. <laughs> yeah i mean what that is about but um but kind of that aside i just i think i think we just especially right now you know we're in a difficult place globally and i think we just have to see the light, see the goodness in everything. And, um, you know, yeah. whether it be privacy or pizza or Star Wars episode one, um, I think we have to kind of acknowledge that it's all, it's all good, whatever flavor it is.
1: Totally. It's been great to talk to you, Carl. Um, I hope to have pizza in person with you sometime. When, yeah, abso-
0: absolutely. You've probably both been vaccinated up and uh, probably about five years from now. But yeah, it's great all speaking right. to you. And uh, yeah, thank you very much again.
1: All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Carl.
0: Show notes for this episode are available on the website, thegdprguide.com, And if you'd like any direct assistance with your privacy compliance, then please get in touch. I'll be happy to help. I've been your host, Carl Gottlieb. Thanks for listening.